The following is presented by Lanier Technical College, Concept One Pulley Systems, and Year One Classic Muscle Car Restoration Parts. Hit it! Hang on, you're now part of the fastest podcast on the planet, Bud's Garage Overdrive. Produced in the studios of Jacobs Media, located in beautiful downtown Gainesville, Georgia. On today's show, DLT Disappointment, a 640-mile EV range car, Dodge Mystery Hybrid, and Ford is back in F1 racing. Special guest, John Leverett, Director of Motorsports Vehicle Technology Program at Linnea Technical College. Informative automotive buffoonery with Bud and Tim, right now. Let's kick it in overdrive. Welcome in, folks, to another episode of Bud's Garage Overdrive, the podcast with Bud Hughes and Timothy Basquale, a poster to the stars, or are you going by Captain Hook now? R. R. <laughs> Since you're doing the grappling thing. Oh, yeah. I got to thinking Jeez. about that after we talked about it. I don't know whether it was last week or the week before or last year or whatever, but we were talking about the grappling thing. Mm-hmm. Is that thing weighted? Or is it spring loaded, or how do you how do you drop it down over a? It's hydraulic. Pilot. Oh, it opens up hydraulically, mm-hmm. and then oh, okay. Yeah, you've got controls so that it can open up, it can uh, shift forward, it can tilt, it can open up, it can close up, and it can tilt. Because I've it seen some of those that were kind of old timey that used to have weights on them, and you you know as you open them up, as you raised them up, they'd open up, and then when you set them down, they would. Oh, then, no, this maybe isn't, I dreamt that. You're, I don't you're know. thinking of something much much heavier. This is a compact tractor, but it's, this is, this is, you can pick up a one log at a time or a whole bunch of limbs, but it requires a technique and a lot of practice to get onto it. And, and, you know, it doesn't tip the tractor over or any of that kind of stuff. It could if you got crazy with if it. If you got crazy with it, yeah, it gets. Uh, oh, it, you'll get crazy. If you've got a big enough log, it'll get light in the back end. That's for sure. A quick but, question from your producer. Yes. Why did you have hay? In the back of your truck last week when you came in. Because I forgot to take it out of uh, my SUV. I, that's for the goats. That's for the goats. The goats. <laughs> go- yeah, and, you know, I leave it in my car, and then the goats are following me all over the yard in the car. Like, you know, <laughs> Just toss them the keys. Can they get, oh, yeah. Can they get the right. tailgate down? Right. You know what they love better than hay is auto upholstery. Oh, really? They eat. Oh, yeah. Huh. yeah. Well, they'll keep you in business. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's interesting. I did get a Facebook post from one of our listeners. Oh, you did? Uh, and he picked up on something that I've talked about on, the, on our show mm-hmm. many times on the, on the radio show. It's lawn mowing season. What don't you do with your lawnmower when it's lawn mowing season? Uh, well, you try not to blow grass into the road. Yeah, because, first of all, it gets my car dirty. Mm-hmm. Second of all, and then more importantly, is it'll put a motorcycle rider down. Right. Right. You right. know, if you're going to mow, you know, mow it into, go out with your blower or something. Get it off the road when you're done right. mowing. And uh, you, you got to be, you know, I, I was thinking about that. Which direction does a chute go on most mowers? Yeah. And I was thinking, well, it's probably safer to mow so you're blowing the grass onto your yard uh, because you wouldn't have your back to the, no, the you oncoming have your, traffic. You, you got to pay attention. No, you've got your back to the oncoming traffic if you're blowing it into your yard. That's why people do that. Oh, is they okay. don't want to have because a guy got killed in coming. Yeah, last I know that. Year. I know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you're just trying to mow your yard, and some moron that 
yeah, too busy or texting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, runs you over. Well, anyway, let's try to take yeah, care of each other. Yeah, let's try to watch Let's try to take other. care of yeah. each other. Don't and if you're riding a motorcycle, slow the heck down if you see someone mowing. Yeah, that's, that's for darn sure. I, uh, I had an interesting experience over the weekend. Went up in the mountains with the Corvette. Mm-hmm. In the, you know, up towards, up towards Blue Ridge. No, I did not get a ticket. Okay. I, I, I don't know if it's because of me or because of other people like me. I'm mm-hmm. sure it's not just me that does it. But when I'm up in the mountains, I'm clipping the apexes on the corners. Oh, sure. I'm, I'm watching the oncoming traffic. I'm not getting anybody in danger or yeah. anything. But, you know, I want to drive the car. I want to mm-hmm. have fun with it. Now they've taken all the double yellow lines and made them those rumble strips. Oh, I know. That's aggravating. I hate those things. Heck. Because I use the whole road, well, all yeah. of the pavement, it's, including you know, the flattening fog the line. hills, straightening the curves. Remember, exactly. as the song says, and nobody needs that loud interrupting noise. Well, it, it, it messes up the it messes up the uh, the way the car is driving. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of skate across them. Right. So I got to thinking, that's darn dangerous for motorcycle drivers. Oh man, if you hit one of those and and you got that wow. bike leaned over, you're you're going a right. long ways. Where you don't want to go. Well, that's a very good reason to track it. So that's DOT disappointment. Mm-hmm. Uh. Is there anything the government can't make less fun? <laughs> <laughs> now, we made some fun, or we had, had some fun with the Super Bowl ad about the Dodge truck. Oh, yeah. You know, the, electri- the electrified Dodge truck. Right. Well, it came out this week. First of all, the truck is sold out. Uh-huh. For, I think it's a 20... 2024, I, I believe. 2024, yeah. It's completely mm-hmm. sold out. But then they finally, they, they didn't leave us a lot of information in the commercial about, you know, the electric truck. Uh, right. They just said that you wouldn't have range anxiety, et cetera, et cetera. And you and I speculated, well, must be some kind of a, a hybrid. And sure enough. Sure enough. It is a hybrid. hybrid. This is a home run, I think. Well, it's a home run depending on what they use for a battery. And what it'll do as far as extending your range when you're trailering mm-hmm. because this is going to be set up like a train you know that you see going across the tracks right. where you have diesel engines running electric motors and this is going to be set up the same way as the old chevy volt so right. there is no connection between the engine and the rear wheels on right. this car right. it is or this truck it is just the engine and the battery and then the battery is taking care of the electric motors so this is uh, a series based correct hybrid Correct. Where the uh, internal combustion engine charges the battery. Correct. And the battery drives the wheels. Which is different from our hybrids. From that a we parallel have. Yeah, our, hybrid. Our hybrids can have the electric motor or the gasoline engine driving the wheels. Right. Or both at the same time. Yes. On takeoff. Well, it goes, the, it goes yes, back and forth. The amazing technology. Amazing. Have you noticed on your particular hybrid that the battery range has gone up now that the weather's gotten warmer? Uh, yeah, I noticed that in in uh, ambient temperatures, like 60 to mid-80s is where it does its best. When it gets extremely hot or cold, my mileage drops. Yeah, I went in mine uh, this morning just to move it around, and mm-hmm. it was up to 40, uh, 40 miles of range on just the electric motor before wow. you know before you started uh, doing any gasoline driving or get, kick in the hybrid motor. Great stuff. All right, so I want to talk about this car, the Zeker 001. So the longest Zeker. range EV with claimed 640 miles per charge. And uh, this is Chinese automaker Geely. And, uh, you know, they they behind the brands of Volvo and Lotus. And uh, 
it's it's pretty cool deal. It's a right. limited edition, and it says 641 miles per charge. And enough to charge all the way from New York City to Canada. The heart of this vehicle is the Curin battery Correct. technology, yep. which is a cell to pack, and it uses a prismatic lithium ion cell. And the difference is the technology that they use to put this together with a cooling system in the battery so that you could actually go from 10% charge to 80% charge in 10 minutes. So I'm guessing with it being prismatic that it's using all the surfaces of the battery to to discharge electricity. Right. When you say prism, I'm thinking, you know, something that's got many sides to it. Mm-hmm. And, and the cooling system goes in between all of the cells to keep it cool so that you can charge it really fast. If you can find a charger fast enough to charge it. Ah, yeah, isn't that the truth? Yeah. Well, what, what, uh, what interested me after I read about this is Renault and Geely have gotten together kind of covering both bases here, they're making a synthetic fuel. Right. This is not the first people to do it because Porsche started out doing it, uh, but it is, uh, it's going to change things, and they're, they're getting it down from 45 you know, dollars a gallon down to $8 a gallon, and mm-hmm. by the time it goes into production, it's going to be much cheaper than that. Yeah. So we're going to be able to save some of these internal combustion engines that need to be saved because you can't do it all with electric stuff. No, you can't. No. All right, we're going to do something a little different here. We're, we're going to talk about Ford getting back into F1 racing. And I'm not, a, I'm not an F1 aficionado by any stretch of the imagination. So on our radio show, my son was in. He's the general manager of a Ford dealership here in Gainesville, Green Ford. And he is the guy that listens to F1 races with two computer screens, the sound turned off on the TV, and headphones. And he knows every stat, every car. Uh, he also races carts and, and, you know, does does those kinds of things. Anyway, so what we're going to do here is we're going to, we kept Aaron over for a segment on the show, and then he did the next segment with us. And what you're going to hear right now is that next segment talking about Ford getting back into F1 racing. We wanted to ask him something that he knows a lot about, and that would be Formula One. Tim, pop yeah. the question here. Okay. The question is... Is Ford returning to Formula One racing? Yes, Ford is returning to Formula One racing as an engine manufacturer coming up in 2026. They have teamed up with the Red Bull organization, who has already begun uh, production of engines, and uh, Ford is coming back. Ford has been out of Formula One since about 2004 when they were with Jaguar after being a uh, piggybacked with Cosworth since the early 70s for, you know, 30-something years. So it's, it's very exciting to have Ford back. I know uh, y'all know that uh, Jim Farley, uh, the president of Ford, is a big racer. Uh, he himself was running the support event for uh, the 24 Hours of Daytona this year, and I'm, I'm super happy to see Ford in all things racing. Um, in addition to, you know, domestic stuff with, with the stock cars and with NASCAR, it's, it's nice to see them back on the, on the global stage being such a global company. Well, Jim yeah, Farley also said that synthetic fuel was a big part of why the company is getting interested in, in Formula One because he, yeah. he recognizes that the muscle car, the pony car, you yeah. know, the Mustang and the F-150 are internal combustion engines that people need and want. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of looking at the synthetic fuel thing. Yeah, and, and with any of the international motorsport, a Formula One being the pinnacle of motorsport really in the world, 
Um, but also, you know, when you, when you get into the, the WEC and the road racing as well, one of the big pushes they've had for years and years has been uh, fuel development. And uh, it is definitely, de- definitely going to... Uh, all the racing technology eventually will trickle into streetcars for sure, whether it's... It doesn't matter what it is, really, whatever the technology Trickle is. in, no pun intended. Yeah, right. But, you, but you'll actually be able... When they come out with these synthetic fuels, who knows what yeah. the price will be, but you'll, you'll be able to fill up your car like you have always filled up your car or mm-hmm. any internal combustion engine. Right. And it's sustainable stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. It is interesting. Right. Um, it's, it's exciting for the company, for sure. Um, uh, Formula One is just, it's gotten so much push uh, since the Netflix show has come out and that, uh, you know, a lot of people have seen that and, and it's really taken on in the U.S., which is nice, but it's been globally uh, very popular for quite a long time, but it's, re- it's really, uh, really taken on a, lo- a lot of new viewership and a, and a lot of new fans. And so it's really nice to see Ford on that stage. Okay, so you're going to keep us updated on all this? Yeah, all I'll right. keep you guys updated on on all that as it goes. If they if they ask me to fly over to uh, to Britain or something, I'll let you know. Oh, all right, uh, well, let me know too. I'll carry your luggage. All right, all right. Think you got it, Bill. You can unlock the shop now and let them out. Thank we'll you. Do. All right, <laughs> thank you. See you guys. <laughs> well, Tim, it's getting that time of year. It's going to get warm sooner or later. <laughs> yes, yeah, someday it will. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, here in Georgia, the weather—you know—just wait ten minutes, the weather will change. But one of the things that you know, we get excited about this time of the year is getting our boat back out on the lake. Oh, yeah. Those of us who have a boat. Mm-hmm. And those of us who have poster boats. Right. right. Boats, 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 not boats. boats. Yeah. Well, it's not quite time yet. It's usually uh, the week before Memorial yeah, Day. Yeah, then everybody it's, goes into a yeah, panic. Right, exactly. Well, we can't help you with the upholstery part yet. Yet. But if mm. you need some engine work done, you need a, a qualified technician to do that type of stuff right and no matter what state you live in what lake you use your boat in Mm -hmm. uh a good place to get training as a technician and this is another one of those jobs you can stick in your back pocket oh yeah lanier technical college they Mm -hmm. have a marine engine technology diploma and a basic marine engine technician certificate oh that's awesome got a shop full of new engines they've got boats so you learn how to get the engines out of the boats you Mm -hmm. know inboard outboard that type of thing and you know you can you can be into a career in a year or less, right? And uh, man, it's it's a great career to have, especially oh, it living is. around the lake. And, and, and as boats be have become ungodly expensive, people are going to be and hanging technical. on. Yeah, you know you you don't have boats anymore. That not many boats come with carburetors or anything like that. On right? Them. They've gone to the same stuff as our cars. They've got sure. fuel injection. It's better. It's safer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got computer controls on them, and then you've got all the mechanical controls on the boat that you need to get familiar with. That's why it's important that you go to a school that not only has the engines, but they have the boats on hand. Right. So you understand about all that kind of stuff. How it all works. The Marine Technology Program, part of the Automotive and Transportation Technology Group at Lanier Technical College. Check that out at LanierTech.edu. Okay. Well, our guest this week is a a special special friend. Uh, He was involved with the program. I was... uh, teaching a long time ago and now he is the director of that program and uh he is kind of a product of both the college system and the technical college system and i'm going to let him explain how all that works because uh when we were sitting and and visiting before we started the podcast it just dawned on us i went to college and i went to tech school and and kind of now it's all became become the same thing in some schools Mm -hmm. and never forget the most important thing the school of hard knocks 
Correct. Oh, really? So yeah. the guy with the best radio voice here that you oh, hear yeah. is John Leverett, director of the Motorsports Vehicle Technology Program at Lanier Technical College. John, welcome into Bud's Garage. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me, Bud. Um, you became the director of the motorsports program two, three years ago, correct? Uh, actually, just over four years now. Wow. Oh, yes. Four years. Has yes. it been that long? Tell us a little bit about um, coming directly from industry. we got a lot of things we want to ask you, but the, the one thing that stuck with me was when I, when I got involved with the program in the very beginning, I came from teaching. I, I came from the School of Hard Knocks. I'd been out of industry in teaching, came to teaching, and... Um, I wasn't, it wasn't a big shock for me because I'd come from another teaching environment out of industry. Um, tell me about stepping from industry into a teaching position and what, what surprised you, what, what you weren't expecting. Well, the, uh, the teaching part of it actually was easier and went better than I was expecting. It's the behind the scenes stuff, the administrative stuff that, um, moves at a very different pace than we were used to in private industry where, especially with what we were doing with, uh, between the motorsport stuff and just our road car stuff, it was anything you needed, you need it now. So it better be here tomorrow if it's not here now. Yeah, right. And the state doesn't quite operate at that pace. <laughs> no, it's a little bit different. Yes. Let, let's, you're, you're talking about your prior experience. Let's go back a little bit. You were with the Panos... Uh, companies and, and tell us a little bit about um, how you got started with cars and how you just by happenstance got started with panels. So we have to go back to the dawn of time to Something like start that. at yeah, the yeah, beginning right. on that one because yes. that's, that's definitely a loaded question with many, many layers. Well, that's... we have time and an onion peeler, so let's go. Okay. All right. So. Well, uh, it started uh, back in 1994 uh, when I was actually at the World of Wheels down at the conference center. And uh, I had just graduated with my engineering degree and the motorsports industry was in a huge recession at that point. Uh, Nissan had let all their people go. The Toyota program had let everybody go. IMSA was kind of down in the dumps again as it tends to go in cycles. And uh, so uh, there were no motorsports jobs. So I ended up taking a job with Atlanta Motor Speedway driving Legends race cars and uh, just babysitting the track on the weekends for Atlanta Motor Speedway when they'd have a Buck Baker School or a BMW Car Club event where basically the full-time people didn't want to be there on the weekend. So, hey, here's the keys to the tractor. If somebody runs off and gets gravel all over the track, uh, here's the keys to the gas pump and um, security's up front. So if, any, if the ambulance rolls, call us. Other than that, we'll talk to you on Monday. So you worked for Ed Clark back then. So yeah, yeah. So. Cool, way cool. Yeah. So uh, that was. How does a guy of your stature <laughs> market Legends cars? Well, so uh, again, tell us that, what a Legends car is first of all for folks that don't know. So the Legends car uh, that was done by Six Hundred Racing, Correct. which was um, basically Humpy Wheeler. Right. So as funded by Bruton Smith with Charlotte Motor Speedway, and it was an idea to kind of bring back some affordable short track racing. Um, the only curious way that I ended up in that particular circumstance is those cars were brand new back at the time. This would have been, um, this would have been 93, 94 and, uh, Bruton owned Atlanta Motor Speedway. 
So, and since these were, this was Humpy's project, well, guess who the Georgia distributor for these cars is going to be, mm-hmm. whether you want to be or not? Well, Atlanta Motor Speedway is going to be the distributor. Well, they weren't set up to do that. They didn't have any personnel to do that, but they also didn't have a choice. So um, I ended up being hired part-time to do that and at least just take the car around to local short tracks, do some driving exhibitions, uh, just do some promotional events with it. So, in addition to so my... You, so, you worked with David Reagan's dad, Ken Reagan, at Atlanta Motor Speedway, I'm guessing. Because he... Or did he come after? I think that must have been after. I do not recall. Okay. Yeah, because at that point, it was just me with the Legends cars and... That was it? Yeah. First car you ever drove, race car with a, a, a cage that opened with the door, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is very true. And I'm still not sure I could actually get in and out of one now. I didn't have a, too much of a problem back then folding into it, but mm, I think it'd be a different story today. That's ah, funny how that works out yes. as time goes on. All right. yes. How did it all start for you? So then at that point, uh, I had ended up uh, with a Legends car at the Atlanta, at the uh, World of Wheels, and Danny Panos was there with one of his Panos Roadsters that they had debuted. Uh, on the NTW wheel and tire display back then. So uh, I was curious about that car. He was curious about uh, the Legends car, and we started talking. I went up for an interview that Monday and started working that Tuesday and spent 24 and a half years there. Wow. But before that, previous to that, your your dad had got you started in in or being around the racing environment uh, and kind of a roundabout way in a roundabout way so my father worked for Nikon the camera company and uh, when we moved to Atlanta one of the things the, that I did is uh, they had Nikon professional services that used to uh, I think they probably still do send those giant telephoto lenses to professional uh, journalists when they're shooting sporting events so I got the opportunity I thought at that time that I wanted to go into photography. Dad had always been into photography, had all the cool old camera stuff, but seemed logical. Um, I enjoyed taking pictures. But uh, at, that, at that time, uh, Fred Sisson was the char- person that was in charge of Nikon Professional Services. So he got press passes to the Atlanta Grand Prix, which was the IMSA race at Road Atlanta back then. And that would have been in... Jeez. Okay, now we're thinking... I'm thinking... 80. Those were different times. Six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, somewhere in the mid 80s. Uh, and uh, so I got a chance to go with Fred to the Atlanta Grand Prix. And instead of being on the side of the fence with all the other people, I got to be on the other side of the fence, walking along, taking pictures of the cars. And it was really neat, and I really enjoyed that. And then it sort of dawned on me, you know what would be even better than taking pictures of the cars? Driving. Driving. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's what I want to do. Take us long to catch on here. Now. Yeah. So um, I was still in high school at the time, and uh, so I, started wor- I was working two jobs to end up buying my first race car. It was an old Formula V, an Autodynamics Mark IV. Uh, and while... Doing that, it's time to figure out, well, what are you going to do? I'm going to have to go to college, so what am I going to do? I wasn't smart enough to realize um, how this all worked, so I decided engineering. Mechanical engineer, if better understanding of the car, the physics, the vehicle dynamics, that's got to make me a better race car driver. So I'll do that. Uh, and then, hey, once I can't do that anymore, I'll, uh, you know, I, I can end up designing road cars and doing fun stuff like that. 
It, it all seemed yeah, to make perfect sense. Sure, still does. Yeah. Well, it was a few years later I realized, no, 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 no. If you want to be a race car driver, you need to major in marketing because you've got to figure out how to get somebody else's money oh, to actually okay. pay for this. Mm-hmm. Doing this all on your own, mm, it's generally speaking, not going to work out real well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's so I ended up going down that engineering path and didn't realize till it was too late that I should have majored in marketing. But uh, enjoyed my my time in engineering. I don't actually regret it. Uh, yeah, it, it's just ironic. I ended up kind of doing the exact opposite. What I wanted to do was the racing, and then the cars were going to be the fallback plan. I ended up designing the road cars and sports cars as my primary job shortly after graduation. So you so. started out in marketing with the Legends cars. Then, yes. you know, decided if you wanted to make a living at it, you needed to be a driver. And then you came right back around to if you want to be a driver, you better be a marketer. And, uh, you know, Danny Panos. So, all right, tell us about the first day of work at Panos. So uh, I had uh, very, very, the, the company was relatively small at that point. Just uh, uh, a fabricator, a welder, uh, uh, two or three mechanics, a front office guy, and uh, then Danny himself. So the uh, first job was to go ahead and make the windshield wipers work because it had a little wiper transmission linkage. And the wipers would apparently, if you turned them on while it was dry, they would just strip the gears right out of it. Uh, to work uh, a functional defrost system because the Department of Transportation did technically require that. Um, and those were, those were my first two jobs. Uh, then improved the pedals because they were snapping uh, clutch cables on them. So it was bending the end at a 90 degree and so it just fatigued and snapped off. So those were my first three projects, but it wasn't too long. Fast forward to, so that was February of 94. This was, this was on the coupe, right? Uh, no, this was roadster. on the original Roadster. The Roadster, okay. Yes. Which was using Ford stuff. Stainless steel two-frame yeah. chassis with okay. Ford Mustang GT, the good old pushrod 302, 225 horsepower at 305 foot-pounds of torque and wouldn't breathe past 4,500 RPM. So you were using so. the quadrant-type cable clutch out of the Mustangs, I'm guessing, and had well, to redesign no, it. they had paid somebody to design a pedal box, and they ignored the whole quadrant thing oh, okay. and all that and just ended up with a, a pedal with just a tab to, and a lock screw oh, that just fatigued. Mm-hmm. The end of the factory cable right off. Yeah. So okay. my first thing was basically to put a quadrant on it. Oh. <laughs> so, I mean, it was not a challenging task. It was an easy problem to solve. <laughs> All right. But how about the wipers? What, you know, were the wipers a Ford thing or were they something? Uh, no, that was a, a, a hot rod piece. Okay. So probably worked fine on a 30s Ford coupe that wasn't going to be out in the rain. Mm-hmm. So, but you had to have those wipers on it when you rolled through the state inspection station to get it registered right. that first time. Uh-huh. So, um, so I ended up very convoluted, but I ended up using a Jeep wiper transmission linkage, um, some Jeep arms, uh, had to shorten and modify the transmission linkage and, um, I'd then tie that into a Ford motor and get that where it was an actual reliable system. So here we go from engineering, you know, marketing to engineering to hands-on. Tell us what was different about your engineering school experience than, than might be with some colleges. Well, that was one of the things that was great about Southern Tech at the time, since renamed uh, Southern Polytechnic State and then uh, now Southern Polytechnic at KSU. Uh, but it was, uh, we had to take machine shop classes. We had to take welding classes as part of our engineering technology degree. So that was awesome to get that hands-on experience. 
really enjoyed that. I'd actually gone to Georgia Tech initially, and uh, after sitting in the amphitheaters of, uh, with 300 other calculus students and realizing that the teacher never even turned around and looked at you, um, just started on one corner of the board, ended up on the other corner of the board, and walked out, and then if you had a question, you could ask your teaching assistant, who hopefully spoke some English, um, <laughs> the next day when you went and met with them. So I did not enjoy that experience terribly much. So. No, I, you know, getting to know you and knowing, you know, your hands-on guy, I, that would drive me crazy. Yeah. Southern Tech, being able to go in the machine shop, actually being able to use the equipment, that was awesome. Oh, I, yeah. I thought that was part of engineering. I didn't realize... Um, from a general perception standpoint, it's not. <laughs> mm. Probably should be, but... So, from the Roadster, the original Panos Roadster, uh, tell us about how that changed from stainless steel chassis and tubing and all that to, to what you eventually wound up marketing a lot of. <laughs> well, shortly more than a year later, um, we got... Uh, there was some news out there about the industry pushing to go to aluminum and some possible government incentives. I think there was a misunderstanding of how those incentives worked on our management standpoint. But uh, what we decided is that we were going to go ahead and redesign the Roadster, not change the body tooling, but do the chassis. Uh, Ford was, gonna, was changing powertrains anyway to a new aluminum engine with the modular motors. So let's go ahead and do an aluminum chassis and let's try and be the first domestically produced aluminum intensive vehicle. So uh, within a year, we, I was doing my own uh, a chassis from scratch, all new suspension and everything else, and then trying to fit it under the body that we had <laughs> and fitting that new Ford 4Cam V8, which is the size of Texas. Mm -hmm. I mean, the thing is, beautiful engine, hand-built by two-man teams. They signed the valve cover. It was great for our hand-built car philosophy, but yeah. monster to, to actually package. Just, really? Mm. You can throw a coin at the engine bay, and it is not finding its way out the bottom. Uh -huh. There are no holes. Well, the, the, the difference between the 302 and the, and the 4 camera was huge once you put the heads on. I mean, <laughs> you had no yeah. place for shocks, shock towers, any of that. Everything was gone. So Great motor, though, because just an awesome personality. Loved to rev the exact opposite of the 302. Mm -hmm. yeah. The aluminum was not... When, when I think of making a frame for a car, I'm thinking about you know, steel tubing. Or, or square tubing, if you're, you know, depending on the situation. But your aluminum structure was quite different and quite unique because you weren't you weren't taking slabs of aluminum sheets and TIG welding them together. You you had a Play-Doh machine, kind of. Yeah, basically <laughs> the wonder of aluminum extrusion. So we first started playing with it, and to be perfectly honest, in that race to become the first domestically produced AIV, um, Plymouth had come through the factory and had seen our car, and they had also announced that they were going to do this car called the Prowler. So, well, guess what? Mayflower was the company that was going to do the chassis for that, and they were going to do an all-aluminum chassis too. So it's like, oh, well, we wanted to be first... Um, they had come and seen our stuff, so no, we needed to, we needed to do this quickly. So we did aluminum extrusions and made uh, essentially a two-tier ladder frame um, using some patented technology that uh, Alumax had at the time, who used to sponsor Tony Bettenhausen's IndyCar team, so right. we had a nice little tie-in there. Mm -hmm. Uh, they had a process called retrogression heat treatment, which I don't want to bore anybody with, but uh, we incorporated that technology. Tim, wait up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and just using the aluminum extrusions um, to come up with the frame as quick as we could to make sure we could come up with the 
first aluminum intensive vehicle. And what did you find out about aluminum extrusions that you didn't know about before? Uh, honestly, they were really neat because you alluded to the Play-Doh machine. I mean, it really conceptually is the exact same thing, just with a whole lot more heat and pressure. Uh, as you can have any 2D shape that you want. With this retrogression heat treatment process that Alumax had, uh, there was some u unique things that allowed you to actually bend the frame rail. So you could actually bend a rectangular frame rail and it would stay rectangular through its entire cross-section. So something that you can't normally do, uh -huh. bending square and rectangular tubes. Yeah, not unless you fill it with hot sand or some yeah. kind of thing like that. Yeah. So it was one of those things where we probably could, we could have done a lot more, but time didn't allow us to really do that. We had to keep it relatively simple. So we got more elaborate on our next generation car when we did the Esperante with the extrusions, but the Roadster, uh, it was m as much about speed, getting the project actually done. Okay, so speaking of speed, how is this stuff transferring over to the uh, the Trans Am cars, the IMSA cars, uh, the prototype cars and stuff that were also being produced in, in the same campus, I would say? A little premature. That hadn't happened yet while the Roadster was going. Okay. So, uh, but it started, uh, Don started asking questions about, can we race the car? I want to race the car. And if you've ever looked at the Roadster, you can see all the reasons why you could never and would not ever want to race that car. Aerodynamically, it was not going to happen. Um, even cockpit packaging, space, everything else, there's so many reasons that wasn't a good idea. So uh, at the same time, Don was very big on the Gene Sears and golf tournament. He was an avid golfer. Um, so what he wanted was, is there any way to get golf bags in my, uh, in my Roadster? And to be honest, while we had a trunk, yeah, there's, you're not getting golf clubs in there. The only way you're getting golf clubs in there is you take the trunk off and you literally make it a golf cart and you just stick them straight up. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah. Um, so that was actually the impetus for our next car, the Esperante. So it was so all about golf clubs. The first things that I actually, we didn't even have a computer system at this time. I was still drawing everything by hand. So first thing I laid out was the occupants, the engine, and I had to go to... Don's house at the chateau, go down in the basement, and I had to measure two of his Rodney Dangerfield-sized golf bags and drew those in the mechanical package. From that, we started doing all the styling work and doing the packaging over that. But wow. engine, occupants, golf bags. And then the car was designed around that. <laughs> so after you designed that car, how did it, how did it morph into the, you know, the streetcar and be some, become something you had to market. Were you, were you, did you have to market the car at that point in time, or how was that happening? I know you could, were building the car, and now you had a quote-unquote factory, a, a, a production line. And tell us a little bit about that era of we, the cars. We were very much of the if you build it, they will come philosophy, not necessarily the strongest uh, marketing approach. So, um, but Don Panos did actually have a vision with the motorsport stuff that if he started doing some of the racing and the motorsports end of it, that that would help the road car business. Catches is, uh, uh, once Don got his teeth into something, he really, really gets his teeth into it. And before you knew it, the motorsports was much bigger than the road car business and the road car operation was more or less secondary. 
So the Esperante wasn't destined to be a race car. Never destined to be a race car until after they stopped running all of the carbon fiber prototype, the GTR ones, the LMP ones. Uh, been out of racing for just a few years. Uh, they had done the Trans Am car, but that was a full tube frame car back in 2000, 2001. It shared, you had to be able to take a template from the Esperante body to the middle of the Trans Am car, and it had to match. But other than that, the only thing that was from the road car on it were the mirrors. Everything else was bespoke. So, uh, But fast forward, so that program's gone. The LMP, the GTR1, the carbon chassis are done. Um, I think 2003 was probably the last time they raced. Uh, and then it came up, well, what about running in the GT class? We were getting, they were getting a lot of manufacturer involvement and let's race the cars that we built. So we looked at doing a GT2 version of the Esperante where you actually had to have a car under there. You got to modify a lot of stuff, but there was still the core chassis, uh, the floor pan, those elements were basically there. Your suspension geometry, you changed every suspension component to uh, bespoke endurance pankle parts, but the geometry had to be based on within a 25 millimeter sphere of what the road car geometry was. So it was all still related to the road car. So the irony, while Don's goal had always been the Le Mans, to win Le Mans, and we'd always won a lot of races, won some championships with the prototypes and the GT and the GTR1s, um, we finally met his goal of winning Le Mans when we actually started racing the car that we were selling, the actual Esperante. Wow. So that was our, our win in 2006. Where did it go from there as far as the, you know, that car to the, the final version of a street car that, that, you know, was introduced shortly before Don passed away? Yeah. Um, did that car ever enter Le Mans or was it just, were we just trying to get there with it? So the cars were always evolutionary on it. So the last version of the cars that we did, the Spider GTs, the mm -hmm. uh, Avizano, uh Fastback and all of that, that still had very much a similar chassis underneath. Uh, at least the core chassis with the aluminum extrusions. Uh, at the end there, it had completely different uh, subframes, completely different powertrain. We'd moved to GM-based powertrains, um, some uh, Gen 6 Camaro-based suspension components. Uh, and things like that. And we went for the wide body, um, just constantly refreshing only because the cost of changing your tooling every couple of years was something that was never in the cards. And there was a lot of stuff that happened in the middle there. The, we've gone out of production with the road cars for a couple of years. We wanted to bring them back. Um, Don's idea was just bring them back. Well, you can't just bring back what you did without freshening it. So uh, the Spider was an attempt at freshening it on a very, very short timeline. Then the Spider GT, which ended up being the wide body and the fastback that came were all the, the vision for taking it forward. Uh, and ironically, we did get back into motorsports at the very end there running. It was the World Challenge Series, which the following year was bought out and renamed the Blank Pain GT Series. And uh, that ended up being uh, one of our most successful race cars. Wow. Okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah. It was kind of a unique car. At some, at, it, some folks had nicknamed it the Crab. Uh, it, it had an interesting profile to it from different... Big nostrils. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Big nostrils. Okay. So you're with Panos. You're going through all of the stuff that was morphing and changing. It was a very fluid company to work with, I'm guessing, because I was working with them 
completely off to the side with the start trying to start up the motorsports program because your company needed folks to do some of this stuff that were the you know of the right genetics or whatever you want to call yeah. it that understood and you know about a little bit about cars and could be trained yes a lot of it's you know had to do with training because you guys were all hands-on yeah when don panos basically uh decided to get in the motorsports it became that exponential growth because then he bought the track well, then he also bought Sebring, and then he bought Mossport, and uh, then I'm going to have a racing school. And, oh, wait, the racing school, the Panos Racing School's got Nissan 300ZXs, and they're all wore out. Uh, well, why would I buy somebody else's cars when my son has a car company? So um, uh, make us a school car. So we whipped up a school car uh, based on the original concept model for the Esperante, which ironically we didn't like. We ended up resurfacing the whole body uh, to end up with the road car. Took four inches out of the middle, two inches out of the wheelbase, resurfaced every panel to end up with the road car that we built. But that original concept shape ended up being the foundation for the racing school cars, which was just a mild steel tube frame with started off with a fiberglass body, ended up being a thermoformed plastic body. Uh, so, but that's what you alluded to with the start of the MVT program. So now he's got a racing school, and now we've got all these cars. Um, who's going to work on them? Well, I mean, you can use a general mechanic, but motorsports actually requires a little bit more expertise than that. So that was a, just great timing and great initiative on your part, actually getting the, the motorsports program actually started at Linear Tech, so it gave us a place to actually draw technicians from. And we ended up drawing those technicians in the fabrication shop and the road car into the business as well. Sure, and, it, you know, throughout... I mean, uh, some of them were on the race team. Um, you know, they got involved. That was our, our first involvement as as motorsports uh, program director on, on my behalf. But that was our first involvement with getting into all aspects of a car. Now, we we did that with Panos. We did it with Petties. We did it, you know. Um, I was in a different situation because I had to make sure that we were servicing more than one kind of racing because we had individuals involved and had interest in more than one kind of racing we had to offer that yeah and it, it you know it ruffled some feathers from time to time but i mean it, it was what it was so you panos closes after you've been there 24 some years yep the motorsports program had been going for 16 or 17 years at that point in time tell us about your transition there so um the, it, was, it was quite fortuitous actually so uh when, Mr. Pan, when Don Panos uh, died, um, he had unfortunately had left no succession plan. So uh, within a few months of that, we all found ourselves out on, uh, out on our proverbial butts. So uh, sitting there looking around, well, geez, what do I do now? I mean, to design sports cars and stuff like that, that's not really done in this country. So didn't really feel like going to Europe. Uh, I've got a special needs son that uh, uh, coached baseball, coached basketball with, and had kept him in the same school system since he was a kindergartner. So, uh, you know, he's got a whole a network of friends and people that support him. So mm -hmm. it's like, didn't really want to give up on any of that. So what am I going to do now? And it just so happened. Uh, see, that was October 31st when we all got canned of 2018. And uh, it was um, in December that uh, Christian Tesloff, the director of the MVT program, reached out. Uh, former director of the NVT program reached out. He was the dean of the program and said that uh, the current director was going to be moving up to a different role and that that position looked like it was going to be opening up at the first of the year. And was that something I'd be interested in? 
well, as, as you're aware, uh, used to be on the advisory board, served on some interview panels with the MVT program, used to always bring Panos cars to the car show, so been affiliated, affiliated with the program from the beginning, and it just all kind of fell together quite fortuitously. Good for you. Good yeah. for the program. Yeah. Because I think that the program, as you have taken it, and this is just my opinion, it's your interview, but it, this is my opinion, <laughs> <laughs> I think that had you had you been thrown into that program when it when it first started with no cars no no clue no curriculum no nothing and hadn't had a teaching background it would have been real tough to do both yes. things um because there were times when i was running a, a tractor to scoop stuff out of the shop it was that bad the shop that we started oh, wow. in. and and you know you get done filling a filling a dumpster with scrap stuff and then go write curriculum. So yeah. you had to be you had to be crazy. Yeah. And uh, anyway, it, it it worked out well and and was strong enough to carry over to what you guys have gotten right now. Tell us a little a little bit about working with students, um, getting more cars because we never had enough cars. Yeah. Getting more types of cars, and you were doing in this in the midst of a downsizing of motorsports. In this area, I mean, you know, we'd lost, we'd lost Lanier Speedway, we'd lost the Panos Group, uh, Petty had sold, yeah, and a lot of opportunities that were there weren't there. Now you had to cultivate those. Yeah, the the, uh, the track up in Jefferson as well, yeah. over in Jefferson as well yeah. too. Yeah, but it's. Um, to be honest, um, well, I guess as you discovered with the program, there was a lot more demand beyond the Panos Racing School once you started to get the name out there and people realized there was a source. And um, conveniently, while we did have some setbacks locally, there are a bunch of opportunities throughout the country and still in the southeast here as well um, that uh, we've been able to continue to grow the program. It, it's been very, very pleasantly surprised. If you look at my job board right now, you would be amazed. And we've got cool stuff from IMSA to, we've actually got an Xfinity team that's local. So we've got one of my graduates on there. And uh, we've got G's3 graduates with one of the LMP3 teams that's behind Road Atlanta right now. Uh, I've got a couple students that are being paid to fly across the country to work in the pilot challenge. Uh, two more that are being paid to work in the, uh, it's the GT, I think they're running a GT Am car, a 911, in the big show. So uh, the opportunities are there, and word seems to be getting out that we're a good source for some solid candidates. Well, you're a good source for solid candidates because of what you set up in the shop and the people that you have around you. I, I don't, you alluded back, back a while about the administrative side of it. Um, things work differently in motorsports, and... Uh, I, I remember I remember having a discussion with a former president of the school. I went through three or four presidents, oh, I can't remember. And, you know, when you change, it's like changing a team owner, if you, if you will. Yeah. But I remember going through a discussion where the president just straight face said to me, you're expected to know everything about every type of race car. That is, I was looking for additional personnel. Okay. You're supposed to know everything about that car from front to back. And Bud being Bud said... Well, you have four campuses, and you have four vice presidents, and you're expected to know. You're not expected <laughs> to know. That's, that's not the approach that's, you, no, you should take. No. You are so much more diplomatic than I ever was. <laughs> but it, that's what was rattling through my 
however old I was at that point in time brain, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, you can't, you yeah. can't, you can't possibly teach this program, write the curriculum, market the program, be at the track, and know everything about every race car. That's absurd. Yeah. Or every, I won't say every race car, but every application, yes. you know, of, mm-hmm. of fabrication. Oh yeah. Uh, composites is its own deal. Yeah. And and what you learned in in building an IndyCar with the Panos Group at the time was a completely different process of composites than they needed at the racetrack. Yes. They needed some of our guys building IndyCars, but what you did at the racetrack was wet layup stuff. You didn't have autoclaves. You didn't, no. There was so much to know, and that's when I was started pleading for extra help. Tell me a, a little bit about the crew that helps you now, one of them being a former graduate of mine. Yeah, so uh, we've got Steve Cohen, who is, uh, he is our, he's our journeyman. I mean, he's just got a lot of hands-on experience. Um, even more importantly, he really is good at and seems to like electrical stuff. And as a mechanical engineer, oh, I always I always say sparky, sparky, bad. So, <laughs> no, no I, I can do it and yeah. I don't mind doing it. But, oh, if you like doing that, oh, yeah, absolutely. So, so that, that it's worked out a, a really good synergy from that standpoint. Um, and then we've uh, currently got Scott Reed as another instructor and graduate of the program as well. He's done some stuff with uh, Warren Johnson, some drag racing engine stuff. We are still very road racing focused, but we still have our stock cars. We still have our drag race cars. We still try and make sure we spread the love all around to every form of motorsports that we can. And um, it's, they've been a great group to work with. So we're looking at adding possibly some adjuncts here as well as the program continues to grow. Now, you came from a, did you ever teach in the old shop? No. Okay. Lots of time there on those tours and yeah. on those open houses, but I never. I started at the new campus. So. And how was that transition for you? Knowing knowing what the old shop was and knowing what you were going to, uh, you had no input into the design of the shop. No. You kind of took what was given to you. Uh, what have you done differently? Um, what do you wish had been done before you got there? Well, it's an amazing, beautiful campus now. It really oh, is yeah, an impressive absolutely. facility. And we, there's no question there's a lot more space than you ever had at the old Oakwood facility. Of course, having said that, racers being racers, what happens to your space? Oh, It gets filled up, and you know what you need? More, more space. space. Mm-hmm. So uh, not, I can blame myself for part of that because I've got a couple of my race cars there as well, too, to add to the variety of the mix that's there. They make these stacking lifts now that you can put like four cars high. We actually joked yesterday about, um, hey, if we get that Honda TCR car, do we hang it from the ceiling? <laughs> uh, yeah, how are we going to do that? That's- First time I went to Pack West Racing, when I, was, when I was interning myself to the industry to learn what I needed to put in the curriculum. First time I walked in their shop and saw the Indy cars stacked up. Stacked up. <laughs> they, had them, you know, they had them like eight high on the wall, like, like you would... You know, put shelves for yeah. for metal storage. Yeah. Then they'd go up with a forklift because the car's flat on the bottom. Go up the forklift, and I thought, man, that's the that's the coolest <laughs> thing ever. Uh, he might have to start stacking. Yeah, I'll have to talk with him about that one. We'll see see what he says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good news is the current administration has been spectacular, so been real supportive, and the program has really grown. I was actually surprised myself. We had a division meeting a couple weeks ago, and I didn't realize we were the second largest program in our applied technology and transportation division. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, I kind of thought that several of the other programs were bigger than us. I didn't realize that we had grown that much. So, Well, with the growth and the support of the industry comes the other end of it, which is helping the program out. Right. You know, you say you need more space. Well, that's not a, 
that's not an absurd uh, request when you're busting at the seams. Yeah, when your numbers are good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, what have what have been some things that you've done in the program that you never expected to be doing in your lifetime, perhaps? And <laughs> uh, you know, you, you've been coaching and stuff, so that's that's a big part of it because you have students that are really into it, and you got students that don't know what they're into or or getting into. How do you how do you deal with that mix now? That's actually still the most challenging thing for me. Actually, is the ones that uh, we we do go through a fair number of people. Uh, at least a third of them will get weeded out after just that intro to motorsports class, and that's actually been the toughest thing. And they don't get weeded out because it's hard work. We're an intro. It is hard work, but an intro we're trying to break them in gradually. Uh, they get weeded out just due to a stunning lack of effort. It's not bad grades. It's zeros for not doing any work. So it's kind of strange. It's like you, you came to the program. You're here. This is so cool. There are so many opportunities for you. And if I can't get you to try, I don't know what to do. I mean, with all these shiny race cars, with all of this cool stuff, with the field trips that we go on, if, if that doesn't inspire you, ah. It requires effort. Yes. Yes. But conversely, uh, the top third know why they're in the program. They're excited to be in the program. They're loving every minute of it. That third in the middle uh, are still trying to find their way, figure this stuff out. So everything that we expose them to is a potential light bulb going on. Oh, I can do that. Ooh, I do want to do that. Mm -hmm. So... And they can find their specialty within the program that really cranks them. And that is... Excuse me, and that's the one thing about the program. We go in, uh, we cover so much material throughout your two years. uh, And the goal is to basically expose you to as much as we can to figure out what that niche is that you might want to focus. Everybody is not going to want to be an engine builder. Um, There are a lot of students that come into the program that want to be engine builders, and then they realize there's math. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't like math. Right. Well, if you don't like math, you're not going to be an engine builder. Mm-hmm. Correct. Well, maybe you should do body work. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but that gets figured out. Okay, well, if I'm not going to do that, well, maybe I can do this. Did yeah. you like composites? Right. Um, composites is a great. At the end of the day, there are so many job opportunities beyond motorsports, but motorsports ends up being a great feeding ground for all the composites jobs. Correct. Just, it's not being trained. No, you've got people making prosthesis for gosh Yeah. Things. I mean, it's amazing. Um, has it has it ever been considered? Um, you have an automotive program on one of the other campuses, I believe. Still, we have two campuses. Yes, two campuses, and you have a body shop program. Yes. Now I know you incorporate welding and um, machine tool into the program. Has there ever been some thought to? All I can think of is some kid that more and more as time goes on opens a hood of a car, and unless they're into the 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 uh, the drifting and, and that with the turbos and, and all that kind of stuff. Don't even know basic hand tools. Right. And I, I just can't imagine that it'd be like going to France and not speaking the language and because there is a language of tools. Oh, absolutely. And uh, so has there ever been some consideration of having them prerequisite things before they come into the motorsports program? That's one of the things that we're wrestling with right now uh, because the program has grown so much is... Um, Growth is good, but you want to make sure, uh, for, for one, the ones that we're losing, are they finding another path? 
if you come and you realize this isn't for you, but while you're here, That's you see, success. I want to be a diesel mechanic. Yep. I want to be a welder. Yep, I right. want to be a fireman. Yep. I want to be a phlebotomist. Whatever. You know, right. but as, if you found something else while you were here, that's still a win for us. Oh, sure. Yeah, so absolutely. I don't have those answers, and I'm not sure that we have a good answer to that yet, but I know that's one of the things that we're evaluating. Because it's expensive to run your program. Yes. I know that from direct experience. And you can't afford to use up consumables on folks that are uh, kind of halfway into it. Yeah. Um, and I'll probably get run out of town for suggesting this on so many levels. They have a lot of programs, a lot of grants, a lot of... In Georgia here, we have the Hope, Hope uh, Grant and the Hope Scholarship yes. Program. Now, you offer a diploma, you offer a degree, Correct. and you offer two certificates. Uh, three certificates, three? Al- okay. although the certificates are designed to be embedded in the diploma and the degree program. They're not... T- at this point, we are uh, discouraging you from treating that as an end goal. What if you come from a race team, though, and you, and you plead your case? It's it's possible, and uh, there's some other reasons with dual enrollment. It works out oh. to have the certificates and all that as well. But at the end of the day, hey, I got an engine builder certificate. Does that make you qualified to go build race engines? Absolutely not. So it's better than nothing, uh, but it really, you need to do the whole program. You need to get the diploma. You need to get the degree. Uh, do one of the two, and uh, then get your all of your certificates embedded in that. So as I mentioned, we have these scholarship programs. What if? This is just Bud speaking. All right. Remember, I suggested that people have to get in a tractor trailer when they take their driver's license (laughs) just to get in it and see what they're up against. What if you had to pay as you go out of pocket? Then when you completed, you got a check for what you had invested. How would that affect what's going on, not only in your program, but in a lot of other programs? It's the people that are wandering around thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, you know, if you got your own skin in the game, I think it's a little bit different. Actually, to be honest, I'd have to say that sounds like a brilliant idea, bud. Cause Mark that down. Brilliant. That, okay. that really well, I had a brilliant idea. Are there, are there two L's in brilliant? Yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> now, at the end of the day, that is, I think, a significant problem right now. Without, as you said, skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got skin in the game. You're not going ahead and taking those zeros. Right. You know. No, and a student loan you know, is not realistic either. No. I mean, you haven't got a job. Right. But Mm -hmm. you can get a student loan, put yourself hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and not have a career. Yeah. You know, that, that, that to me is, it's making money for somebody, but it ain't for, it ain't for the participant. Yes. So anyway, that's my two cents on that. Okay. What would you have done differently, John, along your pathway here? Hmm. Pathways. Pathways. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know that there's a whole lot. Um, I, I guess the only thing I would wrestle with is that, that marketing thing so that I could have actually been a race car driver instead mm. of... The, <laughs> <laughs> there's still time, John. Instead You're of good. one who drives race cars occasionally. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't really regret uh, anything. The, the stuff that we learned along the way, um, all of that time at Panos, geez, when we uh, took that job... Uh, Hey, is this going to work? I mean, who does cars in, in, a, in America? Specialty cars? Mm. Well, if this will just last that, that three years. So did you did, have did that. it flash through your mind? Remember the era of kit cars? Oh, I, yeah. mean, I mean, everything oh, was yeah. built on a Volkswagen. Oh, yeah. And did that enter your mind as you were you yeah, know, I, going through some of this? No, absolutely. And again, the, the original goal was, well, I just hope this lasts long enough to get that, that three to five years of automotive experience on my resume so that you can get another automotive 
engineering right. job. Right. Yeah. right. So, right. you know, almost 25 years later, I mean, it uh, got to do an incredible amount of cool stuff. And none of it involved being on the door handle team for GM or anything incredibly monotonous like that. Every day was fun. Every day was... Oh, there was no monotony over there. <laughs> there was work. There was always an adventure. Oh, yeah. right. <laughs> adventure. That's the word I was yeah. hoping. So for. going back to when when Don asked you, to, when he, you know, uh, started a school and said, well, we now, now we need a school car. And you described having to build a school car. What's what's the timeline on that? I mean, is that... Oh, every one of these stories has so many, many, many more layers to that. So uh, it was decided, we were developing the Esperante at that time. So it was decided that we did not have time to design the school car. The Esperante was the street car. The street car. Okay. So we didn't have time to do the racing school car. So let's go ahead and contract it out. All right, submit some bids. Well, that's too expensive. I'm not paying that. Oh, no, that's never going to work. Well, all right, yeah, yeah, we'll give it to that company. So then that company ends up, as a company in Florida, ends up being several months late. And when they deliver the first three prototypes, uh, not one of them is the same relative to the other. So, but meanwhile, they've announced that the school's opening up and when the first school's going to be. So now it then becomes, okay, um, you guys, take what's there. Just, just... Band-aid any of the problems, fixture it, make them all the same, and <laughs> we need the first 20 cars in X months. So that got dumped on our lap. And uh, one of my engineers, Jason, he uh, ended up being the one that had to spearhead all of the fixturing and babysit the majority of that program. Um, it was... How exciting. Yeah. <laughs> and again, when you're looking at it, you can see, but there's no triangulation there. No, just just beef it up, make it thicker, make it heavier, add brackets. And it's like, oh, God, so it was horrible. Um, Jason, I think he had 60 days to get the first chassis fixtured and then have them start building frames. So that's what ended up happening. And uh, then that car evolved to the Women's Global GT Series and then the Panos GTS Spec Racer. But the good news is, is that every one of those cars inherited all of the same flaws because <laughs> you had to build them off the same fixtures. And, well, we're building them now. If it's good enough for that, it'll be good enough for this. Or, well, just beef it up some more. Make it heavier. Add another bracket. <laughs> so. Well, at one point in time, you added so many bars to the uh, Trans Am car that one of the drivers... They had to cut bars out to get them in it. The, yeah, the, the seat didn't actually fit in the first one. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, the cool thing about that now, with, with building all these different cars, these tube frame cars, and, and Lord knows, when you look at it from a race car standpoint, it was a great school car because you, 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 know, you could cut things off and re-weld them back on. And, but, my gosh, you know, the, this, the stuff that was on the car, if you tried to put it on an actual race car. Yes. But yet they raced hard. Yeah, they, they I mean, did. I mean, the Global, the Women's Series was a, a good series. Um, the school was a lot of fun. Yeah, for 10 years, it was, a, it, was a, it was a hit. And there was no place you could go to get in a tube frame car at the time. Yeah. And, and actually go out and learn how to yeah, drive. Yeah, a purpose-built race car instead of a modified road car. And, and it's, it's a shame they didn't uh, maintain a series for that car. Yeah. But uh, are there any of them still out there? There are people still running them. I actually still get calls providing tech support for GTS and GTRA customers to this day. So, Are you or were you involved 
and this may have happened after the fact, the original streetcars and, and the roadsters, they are now getting refurbished by Panos. Is that correct? Oh, I did not realize that, actually. I didn't think there was anybody there. I thought they were, I thought they were uh, when I was at a car show over at uh, Chateau Lawn, there were people over there. Uh, one of them was a former student I taught in high school that okay. was working on updating the cars, putting modern things on cars that are already owned by people. Hmm. Oh. No, I was not aware of that because I still get the call saying that they can't ever get through and asking if there's anybody there because the phone just rings. Oh, okay. So, yeah, not sure on that one. Tim, that's your homework. Yeah. Okay. You have to do market. some more research on that. Mark it down. All right. Yeah, so. that comes from two instructors now. Okay. You do your homework <laughs> on getting your old panels re- refurbished. What's next for John Leverett? What's next for the motorsports program? What's, you know? Well, um, no the, pressure here. Yeah, the next thing that I want to do is uh, I want to go ahead and uh, start making some inroads with IndyCar. So I want to go ahead and uh, actually start getting some more students there. Need to get uh, some of our NASCAR connections built back up. We've got a lot of uh, legacy NASCAR um, from back in your era. Mm-hmm. And I've got, like I said, I've got one student right now that's uh, on an Xfinity team. Uh, but I uh, need to expand that. And um, those, those are kind of the two areas where I really want to start to grow the program. The other thing is, is electrification, sore subject, but it is coming. You can't get away from it. I don't think it's coming in the, full, in the form that everybody thinks it is with full battery electrics. But uh, hybridization is already in IMSA this year. Hybridization will be in IndyCar next year. So I've actually, uh, with the school, uh, we've gotten some electric uh, go-kart, racing kart trainers now that uh, allow us to introduce the students to some of the advantage no, sure. of, yeah, of, of the electrical stuff. I took one down a drag strip one night when, uh, yeah, when no, we were doing electric stuff at this high school. Uh, it's pretty amazing. You mentioned something. Just You just said a word okay. a little while back that... That struck a memory for me. Sparky. Oh, yes. Tell us about Sparky the race car. So Sparky the race car was one of our GTR1s uh, that was actually modified. Batmobile, right? The Batmobile yeah. to be a hybrid race car back in 1998 before anybody really knew what a hybrid was. Wow. Yeah, so Don was definitely ahead of his time on that. Working with Zytec, uh, it had a, still had its Roush V8, but it had a supplemental electric motor and a battery pack. Uh, that it uh, was running. And the goal was at Le Mans, um, it's such a long lap. If you could just go one more lap than your competitors, one more lap over 24 hours, that is a significant advantage. So uh, a lot of time and money was invested in this car. The car uh, definitely uh, wasn't nicknamed Sparky affectionately. Uh, one of the mechanics <laughs> lost a fingertip uh, on oh, really? a little electrification there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was, it was a really neat, ambitious project. Um, unfortunately, at Le Mans, you had to do the pre-qualifying, and it didn't get through pre-qualifying because it was, it was heavy just because of the extra batteries and all that. Now, having thought about that after the fact, uh, Don is like, well, you know, I guess we didn't have to have had the batteries in it for pre-qualifying. And, oh, yeah, we could have just run it on the V8 and then run the batteries for the race. Mm -hmm. But darn hindsight. Um, so, uh, but it ended up uh, running at Road Atlanta that same year, at, uh, and it ended up at Petit Le Mans. It ended up coming first in class because it was the only car in its class, but I think it was, uh, it was like in the top five overall. It actually had a, had a great finish, so that was its one bit of success. Mm-hmm. 
But it was a cool looking car. Oh, cool car, purple with the lightning bolts on yeah. the side. Yeah. And again, way before anybody was even thinking or talking about this stuff. So let's bounce back to what's next for John. So next for me is um, just going to try to keep growing the program. If I can get those forays into IndyCar and back into NASCAR as well, um, we're just going to keep building on the success that we've got and uh, uh, figure out how to update as all the technology keeps changing because it does not stay still for long. And uh, we, it was actually remarked by, uh, by somebody that looking at our, our motorsports lab, as cool as it is, you know, it's a little bit of a vintage race car lab, though, technically. Oh, time marches on. Yeah, I mean, hey, right. that's state-of-the-art IndyCar. Oh, yeah, well, that's a 2005. Correct. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So um, yeah. trying to figure out how to update that. That's a little little trickier since uh, all of those cars have essentially been donated. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they're, they're, you know, that's, that's where you get into the expense factor if you, you know, if you don't have sponsors and stuff. The, I would think that it would be, even though they're available, I would think it would be tough to go out and buy a new cup car nascar cup car be a great ex yes. exercise for you you could assemble it oh yeah no awesome mm -hmm. but it's uh, it's uh, and i think there's also a perception issue with uh, since we are a state school mm -hmm. uh, I, I have seen the look of abject terror on random politicians faces as they walk into our lab mm -hmm. so people love really? to show off our lab because it's got all this cool stuff mm -hmm. but the politicians are like uh oh can this blow back on me in any way, shape, or form? Are we using state funds to buy race cars? Is this going to blow oh, up on me? Is this going to... Oh, no, this could be bad. It's like, no, it's, <laughs> well, I would think that, you know, the, the, what I've seen at the other end of it from the NASCAR guys is, um, you know, they don't have fabricators in the shop anymore, they ha or they have one or two. It used to be nothing but fabricators, yeah. you know, doing, doing crush panels or bodies or, yeah. or whatever it was. They were all fabricators. Now they've got a specific team of people bolting the cars together, that's not a bad gig necessarily no. with all the teams that they have. So you know, maybe you could get some interns out there screwing yeah. these cars together and and realizing what's different about these than the old ones. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, so. and I'm still going to be curious to see where all of that goes with the low. How long before that starts to trickle down to the other series? Will they do something different with the other series? Um, like, will Xfinity end up just as a mirror image of that, or will Xfinity end up being the first ones that run like a hybrid powertrain before it goes up into the cup level? Well, or, I think you know, they have. I think they have the flexibility to do that now um, because yeah. they're they're using two different cars. Yeah. Um, and I I really think that I don't, I don't want to get off on a NASCAR tangent here. I think a lot of this spec car stuff, as we're seeing it, be it IndyCar or NASCAR or anything else is looking to cross over into other series or combine with other series, at least at racetracks, and uh, maybe not on the track at the same time, but be able to take the show on the road to a variety of audiences. But who knows? Yeah. Who knows? The only constant is change. That's right. Well, we're glad you're at the helm um, and wish you nothing but you know success as you continue on. And we talk about... Uh, Linear Tech every week on the podcast. We're we're sending folks your way. That's awesome. Any way we can, any way we can help. Um, I just appreciate you taking the time to be with us here today. No, happy to do it. And uh, you've put up with a lot from from me <laughs> when I was running the program, and now you're gonna have to put up with Bud and Tim from time to time. But, no question, and build on the legacy of what you and uh, your predecessors have left for me. Yeah. So. 
Will you ever forgive us? <laughs> <laughs> John Leverett, uh, Lanier Technical College Motorsports Vehicle Technology Director. Thanks for taking the time to be with us here. Thanks Strange. for having me. Overdrive. So, Tim, last week we were talking about uh, pulley systems for big block Fords. And I know you and me really love dragging around the junkyards trying to find brackets for engines for these Oh, yeah, that we're yeah, building. yeah, or, or fabricating oh, some yeah, out of, yeah, yeah. Uh, no. you know, it, Just eliminate all that. Reach mm-hmm. out to the people at Concept One. They're here in Coming, Georgia. And if you need a kit for a 289-302-351 Windsor, uh, long or short water pump engine, they mm-hmm. have got the configuration for you. The first kit that they have with all the brackets, all the pulleys, and an alternator allows you to choose different alternators depending on how many electronics you have in your car. And that kit's under 900 bucks, 895. And they also have a small block kit with an alternator and air conditioner. Again, you can you can spec out your alternator, you can spec out your compressor and the different finishes on it, and you may need to drill your block on some of these kits cuz some of the the different engine blocks had different bosses on them mm-hmm. and some of the bosses aren't drilled you know when they were manufacturing them they don't drill them because of what car they're going in or something right they've got the jig and everything you can put in there get the hole drilled right and get it finished off so that's for the uh, small block kit and alternator and ac or you can get the ford small block kit with the alternator and power steering if you're not putting ac in the car it allows you to choose your pump configurations and again you can upgrade your uh, your alternator long long or short water pump and the finishers are uh, machine finished polished finished anodized black or anodized chrome and if you want to do the whole nine yards as they say yeah do you know what the whole nine yards is all about no no it was a military term i thought that's your homework i think it has something to do with the the bullets i I don't know well that's your homework for next week Ford small block kit with alternator AC and power steering is just over two grand, 2045. Gives you again your power uh, steering pump configuration, power uh, flow rates, um, pressure valves, alternator upgrades, and compressor upgrades and finishes on each of these things. Okay. Now, the last car I built, I did all black anodized. Mm, I bet that uh, was turned, good. Wow, the cool thing about it is black anodized, and then the the, the Allen bolts and everything uh-huh. were chrome, and it just yeah, oh, it makes not everything chrome, they were pop. polished, but yeah. it just it just adds uh, just a great a great look to it. Mm-hmm. So check out all the things they have at Concept One Pulley Systems. If you need help, they have videos, and you can call, and the guy that answers the phone is running the CNC machines. Yeah, so... You, uh, and you can talk to the guys that are actually making this stuff. Right. And, uh, you know, they can help you out. That would be And awesome. save you money in the long run. Perfect reaction time! John Leverett. Interesting study. Yeah, no kidding. We I first met him when we started the Motorsports Vehicle Technology Program, and he was working for Panos. I used to take the students there, and he'd walk them through the manufacturing processes and all of that type of thing. We had a lot of interns that wound up working for them on both the street side and the racing side. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the key thing that he brought out in the interview was coming from industry directly into teaching right. is a shock. Well, I can imagine. Now, I came, you know, I came from teaching a high school program into teaching the technical college program mm-hmm. and if there was any anything where i had to come up to speed no pun intended 
<laughs> well, I had to come up to speed on what the racing teams wanted from the people. He already knew that. He was in the racing industry. Mm-hmm. So he brought all that information with him into a perfect situation. Now the the program was, was established. The A lot of the, oh gosh, the administrative stuff mm-hmm. was in place. And you can't change that. I mean, the administration is the administration. You, you have... You have templates you follow and things you do, but you still have to deal with it, and and that was probably a you know the the hardest part for him. Well, it works at a whole different pace. Absolutely, absolutely. We're, when you, I mean, don't, when you're don't out. wind me up. It just it works at a different pace. The state does things differently. Yes, it does. And uh, so it's uh, a lot of times you know we, we needed stuff yesterday, and mm-hmm. Bud would just go and and get it, and then I'd I'd be. In trouble <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> I, I, I begged a lot of forgiveness instead of asking permission. I get it. Put it. John's yeah. a whole lot more politically correct. But he's a whole lot more plugged into the industry, mm-hmm. um, you know, and is a, a great teacher. Right. I learned that from what he used to discuss with my students uh, when we'd go see him at the shop. And uh, I think he's just going to take the program to new heights. Yeah. Well, you know, we worked with John uh, on one of the prototype Panos cars right, yeah. that we did a custom interior on. And what I found about John was no matter what the situation was, he was always very calm and thoughtful and would come up with a solution without losing his mind. Kind of like me, right? Yeah, just like you, bud. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, I would highly suggest if you're interested in the motorsports uh, as a career, uh, mm-hmm. There are a lot of, a lot of different ways to be involved in motorsports. I mean, we've, we haven't had them on here yet, but I mean, it's from truck driving. We've got some guys that you know drive truck for IMSA and stuff. We're going to have uh, Reggie Murphy on here in one of the podcasts uh, in a few weeks. And you know, there's there's all sorts of things. There's there's right. you know, you can work on the team. You can work on the the parts end of it. You can work on the crew end of it. You can mm-hmm. drive the rig. A lot of different ways to get into racing. But the Motorsports Vehicle Technology Program at Linear Technical College and John will get you headed in the right direction. Absolutely. And they also have the truck driving school there, too. So, you know, I always told guys, I don't care if you ever drive the truck or want to drive the truck. Get that CDL. Get that CDL. That's a foot in the door right there. Well, it just moves your resume to the top of the list. Mm -hmm. Because if they're at the track and the the driver gets sick, the the truck driver, they need somebody to get that rig home. Exactly. Good stuff. LanierTechnicalCollege.edu. Go to the motorsports site. Okay. Muscle car restoration. I'm up to my armpits in it right now with a Mustang I've been working on. Yeah. And you know what I just ordered yesterday? What? Set of Magnum wheels. 17-inch Magnum wheels. They look like the original wheels. But oh, the, right. And they're bullet. Right. And they come with the long lug nuts that the, the wheels had back mm-hmm. then. The car had 14-inch wheels. We put the 17-inch wheels with the meats on it. Man, they look fantastic. Oh, yeah. Right. And you don't have to use trim rings on these, no, right? They're, no, they're billet. They're all yeah. billet. Oh, yeah. it, it's, looks- it's great. Got them from year one. Uh, Pat helped me out with all the stuff I needed to, to make it all fit and offsets and all that kind of stuff. Because you don't want to put too big a tire on these old suspensions. Right. Uh, if you get into a real wide tire on the old suspensions that didn't have rack and pinion and stuff, they kind of wander around a lot on the road. Okay. They, they Well, the tire's tend to track off in their own direction mm-hmm. uh, with a, with the old-time parallelogram suspension. So you gotta, you got to know that kind of stuff and have somebody say, hey, maybe you don't want to put 14-inch, you know, 
tires on the front of this car. Right. Plus, it won't clear the inner fenders on a lot of cars. I get That's you. the kind of stuff that year one can tell you. Yeah. And they have a lot of wheel specials. I bought a package that put everything together. The lug nuts, I got to pick out the valve stems, the center caps, all that stuff. And it's all together when you get it. That makes it simple. Yeah, ready to go, and you don't have to worry about whether it's going to fit. Check them out at yearone.com. Okay. Time to do our thank yous, Tim. I want to uh, thank Lanier Technical College, Year One, mm-hmm. and Concept One for being partners on this podcast every week. Bill Wilson, uh, producer, producer, conductor, Producti- yeah. production, producer, that's what it does. <laughs> Producer extraordinaire. <laughs> Part-time analyst. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That'll, that'll never leave. We'll never leave you short of subject matter. Let's put it that one. And John Leverett for uh, coming in and uh, explaining to us a little bit about the motorsports program and, and motorsports in general. Mm-hmm. It's, it's in a good place right now. Right. Um, there are some changes in some of the different series, but it's, it's, it's going strong in, in most series. Uh, we get the short tracks fired back up again, and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll be... Uh, We'll be solid there. Uh, there's a lot uh, of innovation coming into racing, too. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And it transfers to the street. Exactly. Uh, plus, next week's guest, Kyle Petty. Oh, yeah. Now, we talked to him last year when he wrote his book. It came out in the fall. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we talked to him after the book had out, been out for a few months. And uh, we're going to catch up with them later in the year to talk more NASCAR stuff. But we talked about the book and, and you know, how that's been going for him. And uh, he, he's a very, very interesting guy. Yes, he is. Uh, no, no holds barred. Let's right. put it that way. And that's, that's the way we like it here, Bud's Garage Overdrive. Now, don't forget the radio show, Bud's Garage, which is, airs at noon on WDUN, which is AM 550 FM 102.9. Out of Gainesville, Georgia, you can go to Access WDUN. That's an app you can put on your phone and listen to the show on a weekly basis. Or you can go to all the big podcast sites and plug in Bud's Garage, not mm-hmm. Bud's Garage Overdrive. we got two different logos up there. And you can listen to any of the shows from the beginning of the year. And they're all very interesting. Absolutely. So they say. I Well, we say that. <laughs> Haven't listened yet, have you, Tim? Yeah, all right. Would you guys quit? All right. We, we do want to remind you that with the radio show, we talk about local places, you know, mm-hmm. in, our, in our area. But that expertise transfers over to where you are anywhere in the country. Oh, you bet. All right. Remember to keep between the ditches, shiny side up. We'll see you next week right here in Bud's Garage. Overdrive the podcast. Have a great week. Yes. Yeah.